I saw some news, actually pretty close to when we recorded, that Come From Away will be closing in September in New York, which is a bummer to me because I saw that when I went to New York when I graduated college. I saw that, Spongebob, musical, and The Iceman Cometh with Denzel. Uh, Come From Away was really good. I remember I did standing room only and I cried like for the last 10 minutes straight. Uh, but I was actually a little bummed it was closing because it's COVID closing and it's got like the numbers are down because of COVID, you know, because it is a tourist show. It's 100% a tourist show. But it's like kind of a bummer they couldn't keep it going still till like the tourism is back because I do legitimately think it's a special show that felt maybe it's a little chintzy to say this, but I do think it's more special seeing it in New York because it's like you go to the 9-11 museum and then you go there. You get to see this wonderful work of art about the day that makes you feel all the sorrow that that museum gives you, too. Because to me, when I went to the 9-11 Museum, personally, damn, I immediately went way heavy. But when I went to the 9-11 yeah, we Museum... Talked, I, we said we didn't want to do this. And, well, and no, like, but when I, I went to that... special third topic when I went to heavy. So I went to... <laughs> it's not as... I, this is, like, heavy we can talk about. When I went mm-hmm. to the 9-11 Museum, I remember... I didn't go when I went to from Cromwell for a way. I did it the second time I went to New York. But when you go to the 9-11 Museum, at least for me... It's just kind of like, I was kind of just like in shock, like at how like sad I was. I didn't ever like cry or anything. It was just like an intense sorrow gripped me the entire time I was there. But like, I didn't like get the catharsis, you know? So to me, it's like you go to the 9-11 museum and then you see come from away and get the catharsis. I don't know. That is, that it does sound really like chintzy, but I don't know. No, I, I just I think, think it's that- a bummer that it's closing. Yeah, well, I'm honestly impressed that it's been open for as long as it has been. Ben, uh, Dear Evan Hansen is closing. That's also and I thought that was up. because it was just time for that. I didn't even know that Come From Away was still out there doing its thing. So I think good Come on From them. Away has done... I think Dear Evan Hansen... I actually want to talk about Dear Evan Hansen closing, too. Dear Evan Hansen is fascinating to me because I'm pretty sure it closed almost exclusively because of the movie. Like, because... Everyone hated the movie. I don't know a single person who likes the movie. I don't like the movie, and I like singing on stage. And if you're going to see the movie, everyone's going to tell you, oh, it's better on stage. But if you see the movie and you hate the movie, you're not going to be like, I doubt it. You're, most people are going to be like, I doubt it's improved that much that it's worth me spending $120 for a ticket to see it, you know? I think unlike Hamilton, right? Hamilton is on Disney+. Plus. You can watch it with the original cast. You can still go, like, I think, I presume it's still doing really well on Broadway. Um, it's because now it's like, yeah, you don't, you can see the story at home, but you don't get a feel of the story. You don't get an immerse yourself in the story. Now it's like a concert type of thing, you know? Like, it's like, I'm going to see, and you wouldn't say it, you're still seeing Hamilton, but it's like, comparison is like, I listened to the album, I watched, like, the recorded version, but now I'm seeing it in live. So mm-hmm. that to me is why it's still a big deal. And that's why I actually think, because uh, I remember, I don't know if this happened or not. Uh, you probably do have information on if it's happened or not because of your connections. But I remember during the pandemic, uh, Anais Mitchell or the director, Rachel Chavin. Is that her name? Rachel Chavin? Chavin. But, it is. Uh, Rachel Shavkin is the director. Yeah. yeah. I Well, I don't know if they sh- she did it or not. I think Town though, could get away with releasing and people still going to see it in concert, you know? Um, the difference is Dear Evan Hansen is like a bad movie version of it. Uh, where, like, I think the show is way better than the movie. But are people going to spend money on it to figure that out? No. So, they can stunt cast as much as they want. I don't think it's going to work, you know? 
or has come from away, it did the same thing with his pro shot, but it's on Apple TV Plus. So it's not like anyone knows that pro shot exists. So, and I, I also know, I think, I think I think people have Apple TV Plus because of Ted Lasso. I think that there is yeah, there is Ted a market Lasso, out there for that. I feel like they have another big show, but I can't remember what it. Oh, Severance is doing really well for them, so I need to check that out. I've heard really good things. Um, They're on their way, not like YouTube. They I mean, had they, one hit, and then they kind of. I mean, maybe they'll come back, but it's interesting I mean, to compare Apple now. They're kind of like on the up, and you can compare them to something like YouTube, which has kind I of was, been trying to get a foothold. Uh, I was going to compare them to Netflix, because you just made me think about how, you know, Coda won Oscar last year before Netflix ever won. Netflix has never won Best Picture, whereas Coda won on Apple TV Plus's first try. I you did didn't not know, know that about Coda. Yeah, it's Apple TV Plus. And it's funny because I did you see those articles about um how Netflix is going to cut back on their movies and make less of them and not invest in quotes from Variety, not from Netflix, no Hollywood Reporter, not from Netflix himself. We're going to cut back on vanity projects like The Irishman. I uh, did because you sent me that article about Noah Baumbach, but I only, I've only read that. <laughs> the Noah Baumbach article is uh, fake news, by the way. We were not going to talk about the Noah Baumbach article. It is not sourced well enough for us to take as fact. It is Wait, not. For, so you sent me fake news? I guess I know. I guess And then you're like, I, don't talk about fake news, Mark. I, I guess I, for, I told the other people, I guess I forgot I sent it to you because I, we don't usually talk about Noah Baumbach. But anyway. Um, well, I've been got, everyone. I think the uh, the Coda thing to me, I think it's funny because I really do think it's like Netflix spends like $60 million, that's probably too much, $40 million on The Power of the Dog, uh, gets 12 nominations but only one win, whereas Coda spent half that amount of money for a movie you didn't even produce, Apple TV Plus, and they win the big one that Netflix has been aiming for all the time and, with, and gets a clean sweep of all their nominations. Uh, so to me, it's like Netflix is like, why do we bother giving Jane Campion, Martin Scorsese the money to make these movies? If they can just pick up something from Sundance and campaign it their way to the stage. The there's a rumor going around it's pretty pretty sourced well that Netflix is trying to negotiate to give Knives Out an actual run in theaters, Knives Out 2. Uh before going on Netflix. Because they're like, Well, we probably overpaid for these, so we should probably put them in theaters and make some money off of it. I thought Knives Out did make money in theaters. Yeah, the but the sequel isn't being made by Lionsgate. Netflix bought them out. They're paying. Oh. They're paying uh, Daniel Craig, I believe. I think the deal was four hundred million dollars for them for two movies. Hundred million of those four hundred million dollars for two movies goes directly to Ryan Johnson and his producing partner, and the other hundred million goes to Daniel Craig for both movies. So then there's a two hundred million dollar budget for the other movie <laughs> for the. Uh, the yeah, well, now movies. it sounds like Knives Out was the reason they made this call, because you have this cast of stars who are going to demand all of this money, and well, also, Knives you're Out making was... a murder mystery. And Knives Out did so well. Knives Out, like, you look at the money Knives Out made, like, people talk about, like, you know, oh, will adult movies come back? Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, movie, mid-budget movies marketed to adults, will they come back? Like, in movies marketed adults are coming back, Top Gun Maverick might make $600 million in the U.S. That's insane. Oh, like, I know, I think we talked about that last episode, but, like, Top Gun Maverick is huge. Like, what? Anyway, um, 
but then if you look at like 2019, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did more than $100 million. Little Women did more than $100 million. Knives Out did more than $100 million. Joker, superhero movie, but like it was a movie only marked, it was marketed as the superhero movie for plebeians. And it made $350 million, I'm pretty sure, in the U.S., this weekend has been a really busy work week for me. I'm between shows as we're recording this, so I don't have a whole lot that I've been able to watch and kept, catch up on and really... Oh, actually, I have. I saw two Mike Lee movies, um, Secrets and Lies and Naked. And I, well, I need, I've been meaning to watch Naked. I haven't seen Naked is really, it's really hard to find, and that's why I, I made the point of... In my really busy week, I'm going to make a point and go see Naked when they're showing it. It's like why I saw Hard Boiled recently. Yeah. And actually, this weekend, I'm going to hopefully see The Clock, which is a Judy Garland film that's really hard to find, too. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I get get what you mean. It's it's a struggle when you see, oh, they're showing a movie that's not available. I gotta go. (laughs) And so I'm going to put two things out into the world for our listeners to respond to. The first is a controversial Mike Lee take. Are you familiar with what Mike Lee movies? Wait, I am, but you're like, this is a Pixar podcast, so I want all of our listeners to respond to these takes on Mike Lee. (laughs) Like, (laughs) a filmmaker who's the definition of not a name brand. (laughs) Okay, forget about Mike Lee. Sorry. My other thing is, um, I am drinking right now because it is allergy season. That's the other news. In my life, I'm drinking a mix of hot water, rice vinegar, um, spicy honey, and then some grenadine that I had around. Okay, good. I was and waiting for the alcohol because you can't say I'm drinking right now. Well, the grenad- I don't. Grenadine's not alcoholic. It's a what the hell? oh wait that makes sense. I always put in my cherry coke. This is really embarrassing. <laughs> no, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, well, grenadine. It it might. I know grenadine's an alcoholic. I'm I'm thinking of things like. Oh, it's like a sweet liqueur that you put in, so it's like technically alcoholic. But I don't think grenadine is. I think grenadine is just syrup. I just wanted to throw it out there because I think this is fun. Because I started doing it because I saw in a Beatles documentary that I think like George Harrison says that he was drinking vinegar backstage because he saw or heard that Barbara Streisand did it. And uh, oh, I finally saw Funny Girl the movie for the first time oh, like two I weeks ago. I was wondering ago. which one. Yeah, that's. I haven't what, seen what? it. No, I was wondering which one, because I know that the Benny Feldstein show is a thing, too. Oh, yeah. because you responded so quickly, I thought you were talking about which Barbara Streisand, but you were just you're just really actively listening right now, and yeah, I was like, wait, on, dude. what? Yeah. Okay, okay, well, I don't know. This is my what issue. You... On all my podcasts, I run way too fast for my first <laughs> to listen, to respond. No, I mean, that's fine. That's good. <laughs> that's good improv form. That's You're listening to what I'm saying. Um, I just wanted to put out there, what are our listeners' favorite things to drink so they sound good on microphones? Uh, email us at uh, lookingfortheoceanpodcast.com. Pixar at gmail.com. Anyway, we'll back, that's what we'll, I've got we'll get back on. to you in a month on that because we record these episodes a month before they come out, basically. So yes, hopefully allergy season will be over, but you know, just <laughs> yeah. good information to put out into the world. Alright. So now we're gonna play our games because Mark has a game that he has not explained to me yet that I'm gonna have to play. But I have my game that I introduced last week that we're currently titling the letterbox game. 
Do, 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 do. Maybe at some point Mark will write a song for it instead of just let's, uh, the let's, Cena let's just do the Mike Cena sound. <laughs> just like say that. Mike it's Cena. He just said Mike Cena. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, the Letterboxd game. The Letterboxd game is a game where Letterboxd has recently had Letterboxd the website that lets you review log movies keep track of what you're seeing uh has added something to it where they say the five films well more than five for the sake of our game five films that are most related to that film algorithmically the goal of this game is i'm going to pick one of the movies i've seen the last week and then i'm going to read mark the first five most related films to that film if there's a film by the same director, it's removed. If there's a film in the same franchise, it is removed. All right. So what I did was I saw 10 movies since we recorded last. Some of them were for podcasts. Which was a week ago, which is incredible. Yeah. I put all 10 movies into a random number generator. I'm going to let Mark pick a number, and that will be the movie that I give him it for. Pick a number between 1 and 10. I have 10 films. Six. 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 All right. All right. Let me open it up. Uh, audience uh, at home, pick a number. <laughs> okay, but it's not gonna, not gonna work like that. All right, all right. Number six. Your five films are The Grudge, The Woman in Black, Hereditary, Paranormal Activity, fourteen oh eight. Um, was it Midsummer? No, because the director can't repeat. That's your first guess. After second guess, I'll oh, give okay, a hint. okay. So that's. Do you know without I... guess to count? Because you forgot the rule of this game that you're like, Danny, make this a game. I love the ideas. Well, and no, the I, lo- I love the game and I love the concept. <laughs> I think. I think. Do you want me to read the movies wonderful. again? I still have no idea. What do you, under- this do you want me to read the movies again? The Grudge, The Woman in Black, Hereditary, Paranormal Activity, fourteen oh eight. Can I ask? Is this a like last five years movie you cannot ask because because uh, on after you get the second guess i give you the year it's from oh so i will okay. not answer that question yet because the next one's going to give you a much clearer point to get all to. right all right was and and so it was the grudge and you also have paranormal activity so i'm thinking it's going to be one of those it's it's something like 2000z might be Japanese, but I'm kind of feeling not because of the other suggestions. But, ah, uh, oh man, I'm really, it could be so many things. I'm going to throw out the Japanese horror film Dark Waters. No. Wonderful. The year is 2002. 2002. Final Destination? Nope. All right. After that, I will keep giving you just after I give you the year, I'll just give you keep giving you the next movie, like the sixth movie. Okay, okay. That's just how the hints will go. So your next movie I'm okay. giving you is Insidious. But it, it's not the same director. It's not the same director. It's not in the Insidious franchise. I don't. Great I movie. have no idea. I think I could just scramble around. You All right, might just have to around. give me this scramble one. Around. All right. You want, I've, well, I mean, or do you want to try it? Do you want me to tell you and we try again with another round? Uh, I mean, just, yeah, yeah, I'd say, I'd say do another round. Cause I, okay. I just, I'm not going to get this You're one. You're going to feel so dumb. It okay. is 
None of these films are directed by Gore Verbinski. It's The Ring. Oh, it's The Ring. You saw The <laughs> Ring? Yeah, I watched The oh, Ring. It's on man. Netflix. All right. I just, I had no idea you had any interest in The Ring. Why did you watch The Ring? Because I'm doing a, I'm voting in something that requires me to watch a lot of 2002 movies. Well, I have voted in something. And The Ring was oh. on the, the watch list. So I watched The Ring. I thought right. The Ring. And then I was like, there's no way Danny watched The Ring. All right. Do you want to do another round then? Try to get, yes. try for redemption? Yes, yes, yes. All right. Let's Pick do two more of this. Well, if once you get it right, I think we can be done. Unless you want to do two more. All right, give me another number. Give me. This is just a nice round number. Uh, All right, eight. Fine. Eight. Okay. This one I think is a bit easier. All right, number eight. Your five films are Modern Vampires, The Fright Night Remake, The Original Fright Night, Blood Sucking Bastards, and Vamps. Interview with a Vampire. Nope. Twilight? Nope. All right. The year is 2014. I will note that's a letterboxed year that I don't believe is the U.S. release date. Aha, uh-huh, you revealed to me another clue because I think it's Let the Right One In? Nope. Your sixth oh, wow. film is Lesbian Vampire Killers. That's <laughs> the title of the sixth movie? Yes. Okay. It's, it's it's like screaming at me. A girl walks home alone at, ni- alone at night? Nope. Your, your seventh film, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, I get it now. I, what is, they're all what vampire is, movies. I, yeah. I just can't think of like... Uh, so it had a US release, and it's a vampire movie. I don't know it. Give up? Yeah, I give up. Before I say what this is, I want you to pick your next number. Because if I tell okay. you what this is and you pick a related number, it's going to immediately reveal what the other one is. Okay? So I want uh, you to pick your next number now. I picked two. Okay. So uh, I have another podcast called Wise with Ty and Dan, and we're working on the uh, films of Taika Waititi episode. It is what we oh, do in the shadows. Oh, no! Oh, uh, and the man. reason I said okay. that... Is because I also have Hunt for the Wilder People. And can I just... Hunt for the Wilder uh, People is the fun one this year. Okay? Hunt for the Wilder People is the fun one this year. Uh, this Hunt week. for the Wilder People is a great movie if you haven't seen it. And you might, like, not try and seek it out, but I recommend that you do. All right. So for number two, your five films are... The Killing. Rafifi. Kansas City Confidential. Bob Le Flambeur. And heat. The asphalt jungle. Yep. <laughs> oh man! All right. So is it because you listen? Did you listen? Did you listen to uh, Snub Club today? Is that why you know that? Yeah. If you're Club? up to date on the Snub Club, you can kind of. If you're up to date on like the Danny extended universe, which is the Snub Club, they mentioned that as we're recording this, the next movie they're going to cover is the Asphalt Jungle. So yeah. I probably need to watch that too. Yeah. I want to know okay. your game. I want to know your game. My game. Originally, I thought, you know, the BFI list of the 100 greatest films of all time? Yes. Well, okay, I mean, I don't so, know the list, but yes, I'm aware it exists. Okay, so yeah, and very few people know the list, but it's the list where a bunch of critics wrote in films in 2012, and you may have heard about it because this is the list which, air quotes, officially removed Citizen Kane as the greatest film of all time and replaced it with Vertigo. Okay. So this is the list that decided that. And originally, my game was going to be, I was going to give you two films from the list and see if you could decide which one is higher ranked. 
Ooh, that's actually so, a good idea. That's a good idea. I like that. And you can keep okay. jumping around with different lists if you want that game, too. You know, okay, like this so week can be that a, list. You're actually ahead of me because Ugh. my next thought was if this is a podcast where you don't want me to, like, talk about controversial Mike Lee takes, maybe the next list that I have, uh, Rotten Tomatoes has the 200 best LGBTQ plus movies of all time which is up for Pride Month, which it is when of we're course. recording this. So I was thinking we could do the same thing, but like, I'll give you two lists. I'll, I'll give you two movies from this list. So first, I think game makes sense, but just saying it again, first time we're doing this, I'm looking at the BFI list of 100 greatest films. Okay. I'm going to give Danny two films on the list, and I want him to tell me which he thinks is higher up on the list. All right. So, film number one is going to be Taxi Driver. Okay. Film Future number two... film we'll cover on the Snub Club. Spoiler for Caleb if he's listening to this. Go on. That's a huge <laughs> spoiler. That's a... What a spoiler. All right. So movie number one is Taxi Driver. Movie number two, The Godfather. Which oh, was considered <laughs> which hard. was considered <laughs> the better film by film critics who submitted for this poll. I'll be honest, I thought I can be like Taxi Driver or Come and See or something like you know like a foreign film. But no, you're giving me two like the great American movies from the seventies. Well, that's why I thought this was interesting because I, I also like. You I know, feel like BFI is going to go more academic than populist in that case i'll go taxi driver wrong the godfather is number 21 taxi driver is number 24 oh dang they're close though that's cool i didn't realize yeah that. yeah well it's also because i'm like scrolling this as i and I, had, <laughs> I had one prepared and then i was like will he like this game all right here's my prepared one um on the bfi list which is higher billy wilder's some like it hot or sunset boulevard so here's my thought process. My gut tells me Sunset Boulevard. But I feel like you're positing me these two because you know I would assume to guess Sunset Boulevard. And as such, I'm going to guess Something Like It Hot. You're correct. That was exactly my <laughs> thought process. And it was foolish of me to do that. <laughs> Something Like It All Hot right. is... I, I haven't seen Sunset Boulevard, but Something Like It Hot is really good. Sunset Boulevard is great, and I think, I mean... It's, I mean, I probably like say, it. Yeah, I'll just say, because I'm about to switch over to the Rotten Tomatoes list, a lot of... Oh, and, save and the Rotten is, Tomatoes list for next up time. Save the Rotten Tomatoes okay. list for the next one. Do not one more on this list. Do a different list right. every time. All right, That's a good way to frame this. All right, let me... List, do, 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 do. <laughs> do, 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 do. All right, this is the BFI list game. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. <laughs> All right, let me let me try to find something that'll that'll be a little more like, you know, how how does the the BFI clientele or how does, how does their brain work? The two films on the BFI list, in the last last round here, you've got Raging Bull and Apocalypse Now. See, this is good because I was gonna actually ask. And I'm glad I didn't because it would have might have ruined the answer to the question. What's higher? Like, like, not what's higher. Um, if Taxi Driver was the highest Scorsese on the list, so you're you're hitting me again with uh, Scorsese versus Coppola, and mm. I think Scorsese triumphs on this one. I'm gonna go with Raging Bull. 
wrong. Dang this it! Is actually, this is <laughs> actually on, interesting. All right. So according to this 2012 poll, we might be getting around to a new poll pretty soon here because I think this yeah. was a 10-year thing. Um, so Apocalypse Now is number 14 and Raging Bull is 53. So if you and if you remember Taxi Driver was like 24. So Raging Bull is is way down there. I really like this game because I think it kind of like shows you how people want to award maybe one director gets one movie on this list and what movie they decide that is, which I think pushes Taxi Driver way higher than Raging Bull because people aren't going to double up on a director. Um, and it also just, if you check out the BFI list and you're like me and when you were little, you were using this to like make Netflix plans about what you were going to mail order from Netflix, you can see that it is it is so dominated by male directors and it's crazy well it's and the, like, it's very... i don't think people cared in 2012 i hate to say i think if we do one this year there'll be way more female directors on it yeah i just i'm th i'm looking at this now and i'm like i can think of so many people who are underrepresented like like there's very little agnes varda or mm -hmm. jane campion or and these are all people who you know have have something on here somewhere but it's you know you can what? do is something you can do something where you can like the godfather, or the godfather on there part too yeah, and like Scorsese and Coppola both have two things on there, at least. Shall we talk about Red's Dream? Yes, let's turn into Red's Dream. Let's turn into a Pixar podcast. Yeah, that's <laughs> so long. Turn, uh, Red's Dream. This is a short that I always remember liking less, but then when I watch it, I go like, oh, actually, no, I think this is a nice little sweet story. Uh, and I always think the interesting factoid about it, which I hinted at last week in our episode is this is the only one of the main Pixar shorts, like an actually released Pixar short, never to be attached to a movie. This has never been shown on the big screen in front of a Pixar movie. Every other Pixar short we'll be covering, because Lexo Jr. was in front of Toy Story 2, they might have been an old short that they attached to a way later film, but this one has never done it. And it makes sense why, because it's very, like, melancholic in a mood piece. I do think... It rubs up against an issue we will see with the next short we will cover, which is they do the character model and the clown. The tech was not there for it, but yeah, the they mentioned. I think great. I love Red. He's cool. I think they cheat a little bit with Red because they give him more points of movement than just things that would be on a unicycle, and yeah. that kind of frustrated me because I was like, well, why can't he just do everything? Well, but what are your thoughts? beyond that like did you like it did you hate it do you dream of something better I don't know. oh that wasn't that didn't work <laughs> <laughs> well not really i i really think that i wanted a little bit more out of it and i think it's weird looking back at this because i think they revisit a lot of these elements in later shorts and they execute them a little better like they do on stage and performers in spotlights and clowns. inanimate objects. Oh. <laughs> what? Sorry, I was gonna say clowns. <laughs> clowns. Well, I think they probably. They, I think yeah, they they do kind of clown stuff in later shows, bugs later life. shorts. Man, bugs life. I was thinking. Yeah. Of, yeah. But go on. Sorry. But even even in that, it it annoyed me when the pencil took a breath in pencil test, and it annoys me when Red the unicycle bends part of his 
steel frame to express sadness. Are we gonna have I to think... have a bit? Sorry, I don't mean to be like I'm not gonna go at you this hard on this, but like, am I? Uh, should I should I prep for when we do our Toy Story episode? You'd be like, I don't like the moment where Woody's head is in the cereal, and then as soon as Sid leaves, he goes. <gasps> Because he shouldn't need to breathe anyway, because he's a toy. Sorry, I'm just preemptively saying. Well, no, <laughs> to keep because that I would, away. I will defend, <laughs> I will defend that by saying that Woody, you know, is alive and breathes through magic, but he does breathe and act like a human, and his model allows him to do that. And I think that it is, you know, more effective. Maybe isn't the right word, but I like that the unicycle obeys the rules of the world when at the very end and it's dejected close to the end of the short it just falls over against the wall and then you get it and it's like there's that little there's that little joy of understanding the symbolism of it falling against the wall versus very clearly seeing that it's bent over and sad can in I just, the dream sequence. I, we will talk about Red String, don't worry. But I want to go back to what we were talking about with Toy Story for a second. Is that you mentioned that, yes, they breathe. This made me realize, of course they breathe, because we see Buzz breathe in the POV shot where he's looking around Andy's room. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, these toys do breathe. Sorry. My do, we is, see br- do we see fog on the glass? I don't know. We'll have to look for it. I'm not sure if they had the tech for the fog yet. That would probably annoy me, too. I just, I just think I, it's, it's like, a you know, explore your constraints and create meaning with a, with a limited palette. I think that's more interesting. I feel like also they probably in Toy Story would try to save money not to do the fog anyway, you know? Anyway, Red Stream, I agree. I really like the ending. I like the whole tone of the short. I do think. I do like that it's sad. My big memory jump on this is what I actually, this is what I mean, thing I thought when it began is, um, pretty sure I almost have talked about this a few times on the podcast, but I don't think we've gotten really into it. Is when I think of early computer animation that isn't Pixar, do you know what I think of? What? VeggieTales. Did you ever watch VeggieTales growing up? Yeah, I did. So, this reminded me incredibly specific. It's crazy, because this is definitely one of those things where I'm watching it and it just took me back. It. And I haven't thought about this specific VeggieTales episode in probably eight or nine years, not longer. Um, and it's the episode where there's an ongoing arc in these videos at one point that, and the Joshua and the Great Wall one. Why are you smiling at me about this? I'm, 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 I'm with you in my brain. I'm just imagining <laughs> that. Oh. All right, I'm so sorry. I'm imagining that every time we knew we do a new game, it has us singing the John Cena theme song. <laughs> that's, a sil- that's a silly song with Danny. Uh, yes. All right, anyways, I'm sorry. You were mentioning the, the Wall of Joshua. The yeah, and, yeah, Josh and the Great Wall. Um, I believe that's the one where Larry comes out to sing a song about uh, the Cebu, and at the end of it. Archibald Asparagus shuts him down and they're like oh no well hopefully he's like maybe we'll be back next time we don't know the next one which is the Madame Blueberry one Larry comes out with like a raccoon hat like Davy Crockett and immediately Archibald's like nope this has been preempted for love songs with Mr. Lunt and then the very next video after that was not a like 
actual episode of VeggieTales. It was a compilation of all the silly songs where Larry is drowning his sorrows in like ice cream at like a bar that's like that modern art painting of the bar. You know what I'm talking about? Like the diner? Yes, like Nighthawks. He is there at Nighthawks drowning his sorrows in ice cream about how his silly songs got canceled. So it's a compilation of all the silly songs being played on the jukebox at the diner. And at the end, he gets the songs back and he gets to do one last, like a new silly song at the end. And it's really weird that this, uh, this thing exists. So I'm pretty sure it's the first time they put out a video that had nothing about Jesus. Absolutely nothing about like God. Nothing, none of the religious stuff was in it. It was just the silly songs and Larry being sad that his show got canceled and he gets it back at the end because I, I don't remember why. But anyway, this reminded me of that because the Nighthawk's replication that Larry the Cucumber sat in feels exactly like the exterior of this bike shop to me. And honestly, the whole mood of this short is like, man, this really fun thing like the unicycle is sad. Just like Larry the Cucumber is sad because he can't be silly and neither can Red Stream. And it's just like, to me, this is like, what a crazy connection for me to make. That this short unearthed this memory of this very specific VeggieTales episode. Did you watch, like, a lot of VeggieTales? Because I think I had, like, one or two VHSs, so I've seen maybe four episodes over and over again. I'm pretty sure I watched all the VeggieTales. <laughs> Up okay. until a certain point. Because um, our church had a library that you could check out from, but the only thing they had was VeggieTales and Bible Man. Uh, like for kids DVDs, right? And I guess Penguins when the Penguin show came out. But I know a lot about Big Idea. I remember I read the Big Idea guy's um, memoir when I was like 12 because my dad had it. Uh, let me tell you, it's actually pretty interesting because uh, Big Idea... <laughs> this is a VeggieTales podcast now. Uh, well, man, no, I, I wanted to. I think this is relevant because I think that it is like if you've seen a lot of VeggieTales, I want to know about that because well, it will relate to your consumption of Pixar movies. Yeah, because it's it is early that. computer animation. It is like early veg like I'd say like VeggieTales of like ninety six, ninety seven. Like it's not Toy Story level, but it's pretty much as good as you're gonna get to Toy Story level. You know. Um Mm-hmm. But I pretty much watched every, I'm pretty sure I watched every single VeggieTales one up until I was, maybe I was 12 or 13, which is a lot because that would be like 2007. I remember we saw the VeggieTales movie, the Jonah one in theaters. And I was going to say, I read the memoir and the memoir is actually really interesting because, you know, like it's like about the rise of computer animation somewhat. Again, this is memories from like 2008, 2009, whenever I read this book. Um, Do not like, fact check us with the yeah. memoir of the guy from Big Idea. Yeah, it's like. The initial thing was, is that it's actually kind of similar to Toy Story 2 when we talk about it, is Toy Story 2 was initially designed to be a film for, like, direct-to-video. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this when we talk about Toy Story 2, but it was originally designed to be a movie for direct-to-video. People at Disney saw it and was like, no, we'll just put this in theaters. Then the guys at Pixar saw it, like, and they're like, we cannot put this in theaters unless we radically rework this film. Um, something similar happened with the Jonah VeggieTales movie, because it was just, they were trying to push their limits longer than, like, the 20, 30-minute VHSs they put out, so they are like, let's, um, make an hour-long movie about Jonah, and then they are like, well, Jonah's actually looking really good, what if we make it just about 20 minutes long, we add some bookends, and we make it a movie that we put out that will give us a budget to make the movie we actually want to make. And the movie they actually want to make, I'm so bummed it never happened. Like, as someone who loved VeggieTales as a kid, I guarantee you this movie would have been like, it's kind of like, you remember the Powerpuff Girls movie? 
Yes, I, so, I, I remember that. I remember being so mad seeing the Powerpuff Girls movie. Because the Powerpuff Girls movie really obviously should be like, they team up with Mojo Jojo to stop him, right? Like, that is the obvious plot to go with. Like, a big, like, an actual big deal type of thing. Like, the biggest deal the Powerpuff Girls have to deal with. And the movie's actually just an origin story, which you don't need because the theme song already gives you that origin story, right? So yeah. it's like, the movie's entertaining enough, but it's like, it's whatever. Because also it's like, these people don't like the girls, but I know they're going to turn out okay because I've seen the Powerpuff Girls. I know they're all friends with their classmates at school. So there's no drama in it as a kid. There's no real stakes to it. And also, like, Mojo Jojo being the villain is like, who cares? Like, like, like he's he's a hero in half the episodes. I don't want him to be the villain. You know? Yeah. Point being made is that that's what Jonah VeggieTales movie is because that's, it's kind of, you know, it's just Jonah as a VeggieTales story. Um, whereas the actual movie they had was called, like, the Bob and Larry movie. And it was going to be, like, their take on, like, the Muppet movie where it's like, this is how Bob and Larry got their Christian TV show. And they got a deal. And there were going to be humans in it. There was going to be humans in this movie. That would have been insane. That seems so far beyond like what VeggieTales was capable of. I cannot imagine there Bob was and Larry like, out in the real world. No, but there are going to be CGI humans. There are going to be CGI humans, not like the Muppets. That would be worse. Uh, I know, because it's like we're talking like 2006. They would have been like Ice Age humans, uh, which are terrifying yeah. to look at. Um, actually, they probably actually wouldn't be that bad, because if you remember, they had that Penguin show which had a kid in it, and that kid, like, he looked like Jimmy Neutron. Like, it would probably be Jimmy Neutron level, which isn't too bad. <laughs> it's not great, but it's not terrible. The Penguins of Madagascar had a kid? No. No, okay. So, big idea. <laughs> big idea. Let me tell you how big idea failed. Not only did they invest way too much in this Jonah movie that bombed at the box office, because Jonah is not a compelling pitch to parents who had just watched these movies at home, they also be like, well, wait for the VHS and we'll buy it for you then. You know, like, we're not going to take you out to see Jonah. Whereas, like, if there are humans there, that'd be a big deal, right? The other reason is they kept on expanding too much. They made another show that did not sell as well VeggieTales called 321 Penguins, which are about these four penguins who are in a spaceship that lives in this kid's toy toy ship. And the kid, like, gets kidnapped by the penguins, and they learn lessons about God somehow. <laughs> like, I, I don't remember. I, did, I barely watched that one. Then they also made, yeah. which was a way better show than it deserves credit for, like, the theme song gets stuck in my head. I saw something on Twitter this week where someone was like, the Danny Phantoms theme did not need to slap so hard, which is true. The Danny Phantom theme song is really good. But you know what's an even better theme song? The Larry Boy theme song. What the world needs now is a hero, one that's kind and true and brave but bold. If you haven't guessed yet, then it's time you know. Yeah, that's how it goes. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I am Philip I think Lester I remember right that. now. You like knocked yeah. something loose there. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, but that was like a Flash animated show, or at least like a show that looks more like something that would air on Cartoon Network. It's not CGI, but even though it looks like cheap animation, you know, then it's like this computer animation studio has to invest in like traditional animation stuff that even if it's cheap, you still it's totally different material you have to work with, right? So they just overexpanded too quickly. And then they overspent on Jonah. So then they're like, oh, we need to be bought out. And they were bought out by someone and they kicked out the guy who invented it, even though he voices Bob. All this to be said, I don't remember what my point was about uh, the memoir, but it was interesting because it was like, we overexpanded too much and we failed. And now I have to ask God, why did we fail with this thing that was lucratively very successful for God and something that we really, it's an interesting thing, like religiously. I don't know. I think stuff about, well, I think religion is interesting. And my own relationship to it. 
you know? Uh, <laughs> I don't actually want to get too much into that on this. Um, but well, I, think I mean, it's, you know. It's a little too heavy for what I want to get into. All right. Um, but I think about, like, one of my main ideas for, like, a drama I'd want to write is I'd like to write a drama someday. You know those movies that are, like, those Christian movies that come out these days, right? Where it's, like... These days, yes. Well, like, you know, because Christian movies used to be, like, have a budget to them. <laughs> like, and now yeah, they're just, yeah. like, all these unknown actors, no, no shame to the actors, or even to the people involved, all these unknown actors, like... They're firefighters, and one of them gets hurt while fighting fire. And so they're like, oh, God, what's going on? And then people pray for them, and they get better. You know, it's stuff like that. I want to write a a drama, probably actually a play, about, like, someone who's, like, there was that movie Breakthrough. And I don't know if you remember the specific one. I saw this one because it was Oscar-nominated for song, which is really funny. Um, but it's, like, a cheap Christian movie with the woman from This Is Us. Um and Topher Grace is in it, too, as a youth pastor. Uh, but anyway. Cool. And, yeah. <laughs> I know. It was, I think it was Ivory's role. I know. Because it's 2019. It's his role that happened. Because I saw it around the time Avengers Endgame came out. Um, it, his role is, like, um, right after he did Black Klansman. That's my whole point of laughing about it. Is that he did Black Klansman and he was David Duke. And then he played a youth pastor right after it. Very... Anyway, he's a working uh, actor, man. Yeah, he's working those actor. roles. Yeah, and he's great in Black Klansman, and he was probably the best part of this movie too. Um, but anyway, it's like about a kid who's like playing on the ice, and he goes under the ice, and then Chrissy Metz is the mom, and she's like, "Oh, I don't know what's going on. Like, should I pray to God?" And she does, and of course, like the kid gets better, and like, yeah, and then like at the end, it's like this postscript where it's like this kid ended up going to school to learn to be a minister. And like, man, you would be such a great like drama. No one steals idea, and if you do, this is on the record for my idea. But what if there was like a drama that was about? In my mind, for some reason, I was like, this would be like a role for Oscar Isaac to destroy and be so good in. It's like that guy, right? That kid goes to school and realizes he actually does not want to be a minister. In fact, he doesn't even know if he believes in God. But then he comes back home, and like twenty years after, like the incident happened to the ice, and everyone keeps talking to him about it. And he's like, "We want you to speak at church because you went to school, like you know, you went to, you know how to, you're a preacher, like you have your license." And it's been twenty years since that incident happened. We want you to talk about it. It's like this big, like Paul Schrader esque crisis of faith type of not even crisis of faith, but like how do I interact with these people at home who believe I am someone who I am not anymore? Anyway, <laughs> Veggie Tales. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I see where I see where that's going, and I think that casting Oscar Isaac in that would be interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I think that like, and to be clear, I, I thought about this. I had that idea before the card 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 counter came out, and before Oscar Isaac casted the card counter. I'm not ripping you up, Paul Schrader. I love your Facebook. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just because you mentioned that. I think that. There are actually podcasts which are about Christian movies, and they might have more to say about this than we do. But just because it's something that's on my brain, and and you kind of brought it up, I think I have this desire for a few more movies that kind of tackle people's complicated relationships to religion. Because I don't think Martin Scorsese movies or other things that are considered like Catholic movies actually do that. I think that I was gonna, Catholic, no, that's funny because I think the movie that's gotten close to that for me 
is silence. Um, but go on. I'm well, not Catholic. Okay, but but see, well, maybe Catholic is a weird example because Catholicism kind of is like an institution, and it has it has an element of itself. I mean, you know, of course, a lot of religions do, but like Catholicism is sort of famous for having an extra extra religious arm to it like it's a political force i guess well you know it's an institution yeah go on sorry yeah well okay so what i'm saying is that like i see very few movies deal with the institution of catholicism in a way that i understand it like martin scorsese's characters might have grown up in like catholic homes but they don't really interact with like figures in the church unless it's like Jack Nicholson being like, Hey, Mr. Priest getting a coffee, you know, what's yeah. here's a off color joke for you. And that's kind of the only way we experience that. But like, I remember when I was growing up, you like these people are regular parts of your lives. Like a priest or someone is really like a major supporting character versus a character actor if you want to put it in that way and so i think that there you know there's a market for films which have you know like a major supporting character as a priest i actually think the exorcist is kind of an interesting example because the priest character is such a big part of people's lives and also functions as like a member of the community versus like uh, religious compared to like figure. the conjuring where the conjuring yes there's religion in it but it's not it's just yeah but it's, it's not, not like, like the, the it's not like the warrants yeah it's, it's not like the warrants have a role in the in the religion outside of or like with the priest outside of like hey can we do this exorcism yeah sure you know like that's all I'm saying. yeah yeah and, and the priest really like that is a bit part in that yeah. movie um i have i just have a like because it is a part of a lot of people's lives and I think that it's an underrepresented in media. I think that's underrepresented in media is the way that, like, religion is a part of your environment and a part of your life in a lot of ways. And not just something that, like, you know, the scene doesn't begin when you've just come home from church. It's like going to church and you know doing religious this is this is all kind of coming from like assumptions about christianity which is what we're most familiar with but obviously not for everyone but like that's that's just not something i see a lot um, no i think there's a big issue so i, think, <laughs> I love that our episode that about red, i love that our episode about red stream is about like christianity and christian films but man I, I think i think we've said 20 words about red's dream in an <laughs> hour and four minutes and honestly i'm all I right think, with I, that. I think i think I, I think that doing an episode on red's dream that is about veggie tales really is like i think veggie tales is very relevant to this podcast and i think christianity and discussion of the evolution of christian films and media inherently comes from talking about veggie tales so I don't really have too much of an issue on this tangent. I think the issue to me is like, like a lot of things nowadays, people just want their comfort food. You know, they don't want to be challenged. And so that's why, you know, you get more stuff like, and I know you said silence isn't what you're looking at, but that's why silence does like 
five million dollars total at the box office whereas like these movies i'm talking about like oh there's a football teacher who football teacher football coach who prays to god and like hey god god answers his prayer and the team wins even though actually that's not really what it is it's like uh you that doesn't happen in silence wait what are you talking no no this is no no this, no, no, this is, is a different this is like a this is like an, <laughs> this is an actual christian movie oh god okay this is a different story quick quick story this is like the first of these movies because i know they're all by the same director um but it's called Facing the Giants. I remember being so mad because I would go as a kid to this retreat in the winter with my uh, Christian youth group. Like just, yeah, you know what I mean? Like it was something we do on Wednesdays and like Wednesday night Bible or whatever. Uh, and it was like kind of like you do dodgeball too and you do some crafts and you can go camping. And in the winter, you know, we went on one retreat. Um, and on Saturday night in the winter retreat, we always watched a movie. And, like, my brother was older than me, and he saw, like, um, I remember he saw, like, Revenge of the Sith there. He saw, I'm trying to think of what else they saw. I think they watched Spider-Man there once. It was, like, blockbuster movies were like, here's how it can be about God. They showed Facing the Giants the two years I went. They showed it twice in a row, and they never did that before I went. I was so mad. They didn't, actually, I went three years. The first year they did Miracle, which makes sense. Miracle is also a good movie. Solid Kurt Russell film. But the other two years, like, they Is that a God movie, or is that, like, an acceptable for that's, that's like one that movie. that's not God movie, but it's like one that was like okay, I'm okay with that. Cause it's like Revenge of the Sith, even though it's not that as has cool as Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. yeah, but facing the Giants is like it's someone gets hired to be a football coach at like a Christian academy. It's like Christianity's dumb, you know. Like, but then eventually, like the team prays for his wife to have be able to have a kid, and then she conceives miraculously. And like, I don't like I don't remember exactly what happened, but I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't care about this. And the thing is, it's funny. It's like they're like, Danny, you didn't care. You, you liked Miracle. I'm like, yeah, but like Miracle's hockey. Hockey is cool. Like football, fo- high school football is not as cool as Miracle. <laughs> Are you aware of the movie Remember the Titans? Yeah, I like Remember the Titans, even though I feel like it's probably really dated now. But I remember liking it. I thought you were talking about that movie because I remember watching it on Catholic school bus trips, and I think of it as a religious film, even though it's probably not technically one. No, the only movie. So it sounds like someone took that and like Remember the Giants is like a knockoff. I remember seeing a. um, The only thing I remember seeing on a Christian bus ride. Christian bus ride. You know what I Wait, mean? Wait, like, what was I'm, the word you just said? I said Christian bus ride. Wait, no, you said you. I remember on something. <laughs> oh no, on no, on, I, the only movie I've seen on a Christian bus ride that I can remember specifically which movie it was was, and I've only seen it on that bus ride was Adventures at Tintin. And I remember saying like, oh, wow. I was like, I didn't really like that animation style. And my pastor was like, really? I thought it looked really cool. And I was like, okay. The one thing we did do on that trip that was like a long weekend retreat. So on our Christian retreat, we decided to do crank calling like local pizza places, of course. Cause, but it wasn't like it was like the chaperones were like helping us do this. Not like like the like these were like people who had just gone to college and they just got out of high school. So they're like, yeah, you can be a chaperone and come on the high school retreat, sure. So we go there, and I remember we just call call pizza places. And then he's like, guys, I got an idea. But like the concert, and he looks up the gambling hotline and he goes, he we call up. He's like. All right, uh, this is Gambling Help Hotline. How can I help you? And he just goes, I'm so sorry. I just, I can't, I need to quit the game. Like, it's too much. I, I can't go a day without betting. Like, I bet you $2. Oh, I did it again. And immediately we get, uh, immediately the person online, online's like, Sir, I'll have you know that it is a federal crime to crank call a hotline. And he immediately just slams the door. <laughs> <laughs> 
wow. That's a good one. Right? <laughs> that's so relatable. I wonder if that's true. I have no idea. I have a, but it is a good way to get anyone to hang off immediately. No one's going to check. No one's going to look that up. Uh, yeah. But uh, everyone's just going to immediately trust that. Like, okay, whatever. Um, Red Stream! <laughs> Red Stream. A mid-entry in the Pixar short catalog. It's a good, it's got, it's got some nice mood elements to it, though. And I, I, it makes sense why it's not attached to any film. You know, like, it's too sad. Yeah, people talk about it, and they are like, it's a success that it's sad. But I'm kind of like, yeah, it's sad. It's, you know, that's story structure. You've <laughs> shown that you can tell a story, so you know, it's funny. I really. one. I just remembered, like, when I was talking about Vichy I was going to seg this back to, like, and it's kind of like Red's dream, because Red is dreaming of another life, like, a good afterlife for him. And I was like, no, I can't seg that back anymore. We've talked too much about it. But um, there were some things I wanted to mention about Red's dream that we didn't get to, which is it's the first Pixar Easter egg I've seen, because the, uh, the floor of the circus is the Luxo Jr. logo, or ball, whatever you want to call it, you know? The, the other thing I want to point out is, did you watch the credits? I, disc- prob- I might have done, but I don't remember anything that maybe you're going to talk about. There's a disclaimer at the end that like has like the general like "don't rip this off" type of thing, but then it's also like there's a joke in there I can't remember. But the last line, the last four words, and it's always wear a helmet, uh, which got me. I was like, "Haha, bunny credits." That's very good. I like yeah. imagining that some kid is going to read the disclaimer at but the again, end of the credits. This probably wasn't designed for kids because it's sad. And remember, this is still at the point where they're trying to prove computer animation can be used as, like, an art form. So, to me, this is, like, their attempt to make something more adult, even though, yes, it's about a unicycle who just wants to be ridden by a clown. But, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it There really is not much to talk about here, unlike Luxo Jr., which, like, Luxo Jr. is so obviously such a massively influential short film. And the next short film we're going to be talking about is also such a massively influential short film. And then this is, like... This is what we try to do in between, and there's some clear steps forward, particularly as I said in the mood of it. And I think I think those exterior shots are so good in this. Yeah, they. I think that's some, that's something I read online, and I mean this is probably just available on Wikipedia, but I believe, as I understand it, the exterior and dream sequences were made on different equipment, so that's mm. why exterior shots look amazing and the dream sequences, yeah. Why didn't they do the exterior? Why didn't they do the clown model on the exterior shots? <laughs> well, if if you want the other thing that the Wikipedia article told me, it's because they wanted to use the Pixar computer for the whole thing. They used it for the dream sequences, but it was not actually able Good. to do them very well. So that's why they never used it again. Oh, so this is a. So it was like me, they wanted to use their me, thing, we but it didn't this. work. This was what happens when you try to use volume visualization on the Pixar image computer. Yes. And it's funny because right now I think the volume still makes stuff look ugly. That's a joke for Mandalorian fans. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm going to watch Obi-Wan right after we record. Hypocrisy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know. Like, I think this is interesting. And a part of me kind of wishes we did, like, more of a focused episode on this, but I also think talking about VeggieTales and religion is always a good way to go, I mean, let's, well, let's, let's talk about a more focused episode. I really just, I don't know, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be disciplined about it, I just... There's nothing here. It's something like that. It's really, it's really just like, you know, you described 
one show short a few episodes back as being like a gag reel. And I kind of felt like that's what it was, but it was like the gag of being sad. Like there's, it's just, <laughs> the it's gag a of unicycle. Being sad is a great line. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's that they're showing that they can evoke sadness. Really. There's just not a whole. So what you're telling me is this know. is actually a very pivotal step forward. Cause what people think of when they think about Pixar is that's the movie that's going to make me cry. Yes, this is the first movie that foreshadows all of Pixar to come, which is, it will make you sad. I thought, I will actually, you know, we could talk a little bit more about, like, I think that the, the use of color is really striking. I like how the exteriors have this balance. They, they I remember them, you know, I say I remember them, I watched this pretty short time ago, but like, I remember them as being very colorful, but still dark which I think is an interesting balance. Like, I remember... I rem because the dream sequence is so stark, and it seems like it's just primary colors against a black background, but the exterior shots have this complexity that I thought was really nice. No, I... Yeah, I mean, as I said, like, it really does do a good job. I don't know... I, the way I'll honestly describe my wine watching experience of this is I kind of disassociated during the dream sequence, which is funny because that's supposed to be like the calling card of this short. But I was more just struck by like how great the mood was in the non-dream sequence that like once that clown showed up that looks terrible, I'm just kind of like, whatever, you know, so. The sadness even comes from the parts that are outside of the dream sequence, which are totally different. I think it it was fun for me to kind of work out mentally how the unicycle was going to juggle the balls. Mm, that's I a good that's, point. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I think it's interesting watching that. And there's, I don't know why, I felt a little bit of tension when I was watching that. Because I, of course, knew that they could make it do whatever they wanted. But working out how that would look a certain way on a unicycle, I think, was interesting. And it made me think that I had, I had a tension, not that it would drop it, but I had a tension that I expected them to fake it somehow, and they didn't. And I thought that was really interesting that they were able to actually make it juggle in a 3D space versus, you know, making it do whatever they want, which is possible with 2D animation. So I guess that's another thing that is really interesting about this is that really juggling balls could only happen in a 3D space, and that's a big leap forward that's that a good they're point. able to... That's a good point. I think when you say yeah. that, I think about how uh, Disney always said, and we don't need to go down this tangent too much, but it's like how people are like, how dare you start, back when, after Prince Frog came out, you know, they started doing musicals and CGI, and they're like, how could you do this originally? And it's like, well, how are we going to do Rapunzel's hair in traditional animation and make it look good? How are we going to do these ice stuff in Frozen and make it look good? Moana, how are we going to make the ocean a character? And honestly, since Moana, no one's asked that question anymore, because like, these are executed well. You know, there's a reason for all of these. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a good point to make about the juggling in the 3D space. Um, yeah. Especially because if you think about it, comparing this to the last two main Pixar ones, Andre and Wally B takes place completely in a flat dimension. And although Luxo Jr., like the characters aren't flat, um, the camera never moves. So inherently, this is a dramatic leap forward in terms of like it actually having shots and stuff too mm -hmm. are we done yeah what are we talking about next time 
I was guess. I was kind of I was I was kind of interested that we actually tried and then we pulled something neat out of Red's dream. Do you have anything else that you want mm. to like talk about? I have nothing else to talk about for its stream. I, I was, right. uh, we got it. We got, we got it. Let's not, let's not push we got for it. it. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Um, and I still think I argue that still our discussion of Christianity is more interesting than what we did pull out for its stream. Uh, well, no, I, I, that's cool. As long as we're both on that page of like, yeah. all right, we're putting out good content yeah. based on Red's dream. All right, cool. So, What's our next thing? We are going on our first detour. I was thinking too. Maybe we should do a different theme song for the detours. I don't know. Maybe it's just like a fart. I think it should be. It should be not that one. But yeah, I think eventually. Eventually, I'll have. I'll make some time and like write different things for all of these. But not only is it our first detour. But it's our first feature-length film we'll be covering. Yes. We will be dedicating an episode to The Brave Little Toaster. A film written by Joe Ranth, originally pitched by John Laster. We'll have all the details there on the Pixar Connection. Of course, next week, we haven't done the research on that yet. We also haven't rewatched the movie yet. Um, but it'll be really exciting. Traditionally, for movies, we're going to try to have guests. But since this is our first time we're doing it, and it's not only our first, it's our first detour, and it's our first feature-length movie, we're just going to do it by ourselves. We so didn't think we'd actually have guests on for detours, and then we saw some of our detours, and then we were like, oh, we should get guests on yeah. for these. So exactly. Brave Little Toaster, we're going alone, but we'll we'll try to get more guests on for detours yes. in the future. I think inherently a movie's going to, even though we will still take the tangents we can, there's going to be probably a lot more to discuss than what we normally discuss. So. Oh, yeah. Spoiler uh, alert, I watched like the first 20 minutes of it, like a week ago, because I was just like, "What are we, what's this going to be about? I think we'll have stuff to talk about. I already know what I'm going to talk about. Having not seen the movie in six years. Uh, not six years, like... In six years? No. Wow. And like, probably like, honestly, how old am I? 26? Probably like Join 22 us on years. Our annual, probably 22. <laughs> our annual <laughs> Brave Little Toaster rewatch. <laughs> um, but, and that will just be about my personal stuff. But I also do want to break down that movie. Because it is very much a proto-Toy Story. Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar podcast, is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. I do the editing, and our artwork is done by Sarah Knopf. Yeah, and you can find us at Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar Journey. You can find us on Twitter at Pixar Journey, and on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod. You can also email us at lookingfortheoceanpixar at gmail.com. If you want to know what I'm up to, everything is available on my website, markyoungperformer.com. You can listen to my other two podcasts, Wise with Ty and Dan and The Snub Club, wherever you can find your podcasts. You can also find me on Letterboxd at Blankments for all my takes on all the movies. We'll see you next time. See you next time.